Hi, welcome to episode six of this Action RC podcast series reflecting on 80s and 90s RC racing in Australia. We're talking favourite races, tracks, cars, funny stories through the eyes of the drivers and the people of those years. For many years in that period, the name Drogella was synonymous with nitro off-road racing in Australia with countless race wins, many national titles falling to various members of the family. My guest today is Nick Drogella. Six times Australian champion between 96 and 2002, a phenomenal run. And we'll explore that, the origins of Nitro Off-Road, the way the class developed, maybe some funny stories from across that era. Can I welcome Nick Trigella to the podcast? Nick, g'day, great to have you on board. Yeah, nice to be here, thank you. Mate, um, first help me out by, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of dive right, right back to the start of the Drogella RC story. Um, how many of you are there? They seem, your name seems to be everywhere. How did you get into it? Um, which members of the family have, you know, have kind of raced over years? Just give me a, a sense of the background for you guys. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I started, I got my first buggy in 86. And straight to Nitro? And, yeah, straight to Nitro. I bought it in Germany, actually, right over there on holiday. Okay. That's, went to this a, that's hobby an shop. interesting thing to bring bring back from an overseas holiday. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, um, and then yeah, I brought that back, and then I got Tom into it straight away. So Tom is your brother. Is he your brother? Is your yep. brother? Little brother, big brother. Big brother, twelve okay. years older than me. Okay, so how old are yeah. you in '86? You'd be a pretty young fella. Yeah, I would have been. Yeah. So what, can you remember what the car was, that first car in 86? It was a chain-driven two-wheel drive. Okay. It was a Badger or something like that. Okay. You've, you've yeah, already it was a terrible car, but <laughs> yeah, no, it was a terrible car, but it got me started and I was hooked. And did you start racing right away when you came home? Did you even know there was racing? Pretty was much. Yeah. I came home and I looked for tracks and clubs okay. around. There was one at Bass Hill yeah. in Sydney. And um, I used to go out to that track um, and just practice, do a lap after lap. And my dad was there. And, yeah, that's when it started. And then um, I think it was about a couple of years later, we were looking for our own track, Tom and I. And um, we down Minto, um, some factories. They had some grass area. And we built our own track. Okay, you just built your own, no problem, into it? Yeah. Yeah. But we also were talking to the Chan brothers okay. who also had some um, off-road cars and okay. yeah, with so them, into, we started the club. I ran into the name, the Chan brothers name in a chat with Steve Burgess in our last episode. Yes. They were involved in the Nitro yep. on-road scene as well, uh, kind of around that same era. Okay. So there's yeah. so obviously you're in Sydney um, at that yep. time. Yeah. And does that, that, track that you guys you know carve out of a bit of grass um you get some racing going there it turns into a club how does that you know is it just yeah, you guys exactly. on a saturday afternoon or it does develop that way yeah it does but into a club only a small club yeah but um about like 15 i suppose of us yeah and yeah that's how it all started so give, i think it stayed a... there for about two years yeah two three years about two years i suppose yeah yeah and that's where we went to Moorbank. Oh, so that's the club that mm-hmm. then became the club that had the, the off-road track at Moorbank. Yep, that's correct. Okay, right. So you guys started that club. 
uh, way yeah. back then. Well, I have to say Tom started it because Tom was always the one doing the club stuff. I was the okay. racer. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tom's the one that's always doing the club work. What's the? I uh, stayed out of that. <laughs> what's the rivalry between you guys in those years? It on, on was, yeah, as you can imagine, it was pretty high. <laughs> like we, we worked together the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're talking at work, who's quicker and all that. And yeah, then we okay. go out the weekends and we race. So it was a bit too much, the rivalry. That's when I started going, doing my own thing. Okay. And then Tom did his own thing yeah. with cars and buggies and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we still work together, and we yeah. st- till today we still work together. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we might get into that a little bit more as we go. So, from from where I sit in the in that kind of late eighties and early nineties, it feels like nitro off road is maybe the lesser known category of the sport in this country. Is that is that kind of how it felt from the inside? Like, is is it a little oh, bit yeah. smaller and a little bit less less organised or less well known? You know, all the attention seems to be on electric off-road or nitro on-road as, you know, the big two uh, around that time. Is that how it felt inside? Yeah, for sure. Um, it took a long time to get it going and it was very slow. Um, we even went to the Worlds in 1990 just to get some competition and see other cars. Okay. And yeah. and we didn't do very good, but we learned <laughs> a lot. And that's where we met Mugen, okay. the factory team drivers and that. And they were so nice to us. As soon as we and come that, back, we bought Mugen straight away. <laughs> yeah, we'll, and we'll talk Mugen because you've had a really long association with that brand um, since then. Yeah. So that, so what you're suggesting, I think what I'm hearing from you is that in that period, that, that late 80s, early into the 90s, there's not a lot of, shall we say, kind of high-level competition going on around the country. But it slowly starts to develop and, you know, to the point where those national titles start to... Um, to kind of build yeah. momentum, is that yeah, right? Yeah, it was. It was slow. That's correct. There was yeah. also there wasn't many clubs around. There was one in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there wasn't many around. But it didn't worry us. We yeah. started off slow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and no, I didn't worry us too much. We knew it would get there. Yeah. Well, it has. I mean, it's like it's a phenomenal part of the sport, uh, and and over the last probably fifteen years, it's you know that's been at at the very high point. Um, I think at the time we just want to improve our driving and knowledge. Yeah. Um, that's why we went to the world and we also did some on-road one-eighth driving as well. Okay. Uh, just again, to... nitro. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Electric motors, they're for vacuum cleaners, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're not no, going we there. won't go there. We won't go there. <laughs> um, so, so that's interesting. Like you, you know, chasing your own development, you go to world titles to try and, you know, build that experience. You start to do a little bit of nitro yeah. on road to kind of, you know, obviously there's some phenomenal competition around Sydney in that category at that time. So that, you know, those kinds yeah. of experiences must really help your driving. and Yeah. Yeah. The speed of those cars. Yeah. The driving skill had to be really good. Yeah. You couldn't make any mistakes. Otherwise you'd be in the war. Yeah. So yeah, that improved a lot. And yeah. And going to the worlds, we went to the worlds in 1990 and then again in 92 okay. and 94. So, so you've done a few worlds over the years. That's one thing this sport has done for me. I've been around the world and around yeah. Australia. Yeah. It's been amazing. And I'll never forget that. Okay. Well, we'll dig into that a little bit later because I'd love to. I'd love to reflect with you a little bit on a couple of those world title events. Yeah, um, some good stories from that. So, <laughs> excellent. Um, so, in terms of you 
the records I have for national titles in this category go back to 93. That's when you first appear on the podium. I think you're saying that's your first nationals over in, over in yeah. Perth in 93. Um, yep, definitely. So just, you know, tell me a little bit about the way that competition develops in that, in the category over those first few national titles for you. Um, you know, obviously you're a front runner right from the beginning. Um, you don't go to your first nationals or finish third without being um, a pretty. Well, actually, I was going to but... do a lot better on that race. I remember it. Oh, really? I, I did TQ, and um, it was only a stupid error in the final that I lost it. So a, a I won't tell you what it was. It's embarrassing. Oh, here we go. Embarrassing, um, <laughs> embarrassing for who? I didn't tighten the glow plug and it fell out. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. That's, that's okay. I mean, yeah, rookie no, I've, error. I've done that myself and it was a rookie error and it was highly embarrassing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I do uh, remember that. That was pretty embarrassing. But meeting Paul <laughs> Wiley for the first time, too. Um, so, where was Paul? Yeah, he's in Perth. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and he's been, he was doing it for a long time. I think 84, I think he started. Yeah, okay. yep. so, and he, yeah. he wins that national title in, in 93. I don't have other records. Had he won nationals prior to that? Do you know? I couldn't tell you. Okay, that's all right. I'll I'm not sure if there was nationals. That. Yeah, there might not have been. Yeah. Um, you, obviously, you continue racing. I, I'm interested in the story of, um, you know, if we jump ahead a little bit to 96, you win your first national title at home at Liverpool. Um, you beat your brother. Uh, he finishes second on the podium uh, right behind you. He's second a few times, didn't he? Uh, there's a few times on the list where it's uh, Nick 1, Tom 2, or, you know, vari variations on that. So just yep. so tell me a little bit about that event. It's a nationals. It's at home. You know, it's your first. No, it's not your first time national. You had a home national in 94 as well. But, you know, what's it like to win at home in the club that, you know, in the track that you've been helping to develop? Um, talk me through yeah, that well, a little bit. Home track, isn't it? The yeah. advantage, yeah. Um, yeah, I can really not remember much at all about that race. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That was my first nationals. First nationals you win by my list, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tom's in second and a, and a fellow called Guy Leslie in third. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know of Guy. Um, yep. But from there, you go, like you personally go on an absolute, you know, in nas at nationals you go on a tear, like just a phenomenal run, you know, where you win six times out of seven years. Um, uh, unmatched at the time and even now probably second only to Kyle McBride, you know, who's what are we up to, 10 in a row or something. Um, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but that, you know, for you, that like that's an that's an extraordinary record over those seven years. Just, I mean, give me a little bit of a sense of that. You know, are there are there any races in that that kind of lineup that that uh, stick in the memory? There's wins in Melbourne. There's wins in WA, um, Newcastle, um, back in Melbourne again. So you you know you're winning all over the country, but. Did it almost feel Queensland like you couldn't too. lose um, over that period? Um, or, what's the I was story? never that confident. No, I was never that confident. I put a lot of effort into a lot of work off on the practicing. And um, yeah, the, the amount of work I did by myself, there was no teammate. I had no teammate, which was yeah. very tough and didn't have a pit crew. Always had to ask someone to help me out. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, the amount of hours I spent practicing yeah. and just perfecting things like um the setup yeah. 
um, and also engines, fuel consumption was yeah. huge. Yeah. Like I think I was the first one to get like 11, 12 minutes out of a tank. Okay. So that makes so, a big difference and, in a long final, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, also qualifying too. No yeah, fuel okay. stop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of help I got during those years was from Rob Reid. Okay. Um, yeah, he used to give me ideas to try to get the fuel consumption, the engine set up, yep. the tune-wise, um, type of fuel, and he helped a lot. Yeah. So, so Rob, obviously, you know, they're the Australian agents from Mugen over that period, I think. Yeah. Is that, is that right? And Novorossi. And Novorossi, yep. and have an enormous amount of experience in the, in the on-road side. Um, you know, so obviously going to bring a whole lot of technical expertise, um, as, as you've suggested there. What, what does practice look like um, for you? You know, do you go to the racetrack with a, with a plan to kind of work through setup things or engine tuning things, or is it, you know, is it just pounding out laps? How, what's your kind of approach? No, nah, it's definitely a plan as in things you want to try. Probably yeah. during the racing, I think about things, what I can do, what can be better. Yeah. And then I go and try it in practice. Yeah. I always have a stopwatch with me. Someone yeah. there with a stopwatch, lap after lap, just seeing what it does. Yeah. So... And and are you practicing with Tom or you just doing, you guys are just doing No, it was all thing. by myself. Yeah. All by okay. myself. Yeah. Yeah. We did Fantastic. separate. He did his own thing. <laughs> and even in um, racing, we always didn't sit together. We we're always separate. Yeah. So it was better that way. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, no, it worked out good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who are some of the, who are some of the kind of names that you, you know, you were really running up against. So Paul Wiley pops up a few times. Rafael uh, Jelicic um, wins one in 98 and he's second a couple of times to you. Um, where's, yeah, he, what's, he won what's the, the um, yeah, he won the Nats. Um, I remember that it was, I was leading and a marshal stepped on my car oh. and the air filter popped off. <laughs> so then Nats the next year, I made sure I wasn't going to lose this one. And I got Raf the last lap. On the final, oh. I just touched his back wheel a bit, <laughs> and I got around him. So is he a is he a uh, fellow Sydney driver, or where's he yes. from? Okay, so you yeah, guys we, raced together um, quite a bit. Yeah, we did for a long time. Yeah. So it seems yeah, like yeah, that, what is... yeah, the club there at Liverpool, um, Moorbank. That's you know there was a, probably a, a hotbed of talent there. You know, you guys were driving that the talent. Um, it the wasn't just Liverpool. We had three tracks in the okay. area we had liverpool yeah. uh, newcastle and tyree uh, okay and yeah. we all traveled together every weekend yeah tyree it was like four hour drive so we used to stay the night yeah and yeah have a few drinks at night and then race the next day yeah as you do as you do and um yeah so we had three tracks um one dirt two grass so what's what's uh what's how does the sport shift from grass to dirt? So that, that, cause it's really not any grass racing around anymore, obviously. Um, but grass really was a, a surface for eight scale nitro off-road for a long time. Wasn't it that, you know, where there was a lot of grass based racing. All different types. Like most grass would wear down, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Newcastle was very long grass, so it wouldn't wear down. There's a lot of traction, which was my favorite. I love that. And also Perth had uh, a yeah. track on grass. So I imagine when you go to a national title on a grass track, the track itself changes an awful amount over 
the course of the event, you know, from from practice yep. right through to the final. What's what's that like to try and keep on top of, you know, with your car set up? Um, are you chasing the track, or are you really you know where it's going to end up, so you're waiting for it to come to you? How does how do you approach that? Depends on the track. Some do run up a lot more than others. Yeah. Um, I think Liverpool always used to be pretty good, but yeah. there was a track in Perth there where the Nats 2000 was. Yeah. It was on grass, but underneath the grass was sand. Okay. So like, it just like dug Perth. up. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the holes on that track, you could put a buggy in there, you wouldn't see it. It was yeah. that big. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a good nationals. I remember that very well. I no. think I got first over second by eight laps. Oh, so how do you, how do you win a nationals by eight laps? And it's your brother too, so I'm sure you well, haven't you, rubbed you that don't. <laughs> No, I never did. <laughs> um, you never think about where you are, what lap you are, how far yeah. you're in front. You just drive. You just do the best as you can. So yeah. you find at the end where you could have stopped a few minutes earlier and still won. So is that <laughs> is that your approach, you know, when you're on a racetrack and you're in a final, you know, kind of in that time, like you are really not paying too much attention to what's going on in the race. You are just driving your car as hard as you can drive it. Uh, lap after lap after lap. Yes, but sometimes you do like to keep an eye on other yeah. cars yeah. and drivers who you know are really good that can, like Chris Hartel, for sure. Yeah. 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 He's one of those drivers. As he, as he appears in the sport a little bit later on. Um, bef- I just I want to stick with this grass thing for a minute because I'm really interested in, not, I'm not just interested in grass, but I'm interested in how the sport goes from that sort of, um, really raw, really natural, ungroomed kind of track surface to to the the sorts of tracks that are racing that we're racing on today. Yeah, I mean, is that an American influence? You know, as nitro off road explodes in the US, does that track style kind of come from there? Because I think Europe, you know, was a lot of that, you know, really raw grass and multi surface sorts of things. Um, yeah, Europe was grass and not many jumps. Yeah, that was a flat track type thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, grass is just full of traction. It's like doing on-road. Yeah. You don't slide. You're just full of traction the whole time. So what, And tyres were critical as well. Yeah, very different um, compound yeah. and, and tread sort of design, I imagine. Yeah, larger spike to dig in and that. Yeah. And is it just a gradual shift then to, to dirt and to more groomed kind of dirt surfaces over, over that period? That, do you recall kind of as that shift starts to take place? It didn't really. Like, you had both everywhere you went. Yeah. So, I remember one, I think it was States or Nationals in Victoria, we had a dirt track and it got rained out. Okay. So, they moved the race next door on grass and finished the event. <laughs> Just That's the one Tom won, actually. Okay. Yeah. Just laid out a new racetrack so, uh, and off you Yeah, go. even though you didn't bring grass tyres, they still yep. moved it on grass and you're trying to work out what to use and that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, 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 where am I up to? So racetracks we've talked a little bit about over that period. Um, let's let's kind of go back to your world's experience. You um, you do some racing overseas. I think you said 90, 92, 94. Um, do you travel again after 94? Uh, or was, was it yeah. Um, you kept on going. 96. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 96, I think it was. One was UK and one was Portugal. I think it was 98. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think those were the years. And then it was again in 2008, we went to the USA. Oh, in the US, okay. 
So yeah. just, I mean, do any of those race meetings kind of stand out for you? You know, experiences, uh, stories, guys you got to race against, what you learn? You know, talk to me a little bit about those world title experiences. Yeah, well, 1990 uh, Thailand, Bangkok was just a learning curve, just to meet and to learn about everything. And we met Mugen. So 92 was Germany. Mm -hmm. um, it was a dirt track and it got rained out. I think we were racing in the rain actually, yeah. yeah. And I did quite well there. Um, I remember Mugen held a party for their drivers one night and that cost them a fortune because some of the drivers got into the wine they shouldn't have got into. <laughs> That's the only party they had for the drivers. I think they learned a lesson from that. But Mugen was always really good to their drivers. They're really good, and um, yeah. I'm just trying to look when at I change brands later on, it I never seen the um, what Megan did for drivers again. I was just yeah. amazing. The way they look, absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to. Uh, my my very rusty memory tells me, um, I see off road. Oh, it was a Japanese driver that won in Germany. Uh, I was thinking it might have been Daniel Record, but I've got that wrong. Yeah. So uh, the other thing, I mean, the other thing that I find really interesting about Nitro Offroad in particular is that that American influence in terms of the drivers really doesn't sort of start to appear until later on. I mean, I guess through the 90s that, you know, electric off-road is massive in the US and, you know, it's really only in the 2000s that you start to see the, the factories, you know, Losi and Associated in particular and all of their drivers start to... Um, to kind of switch over or to, to expand or diversify into nitro off-road. Um, yep. Are you conscious of that at the time of the Americans starting to kind of pay attention and those brands appearing and some of those drivers um, starting to influence? Yeah, especially the tracks in America, yep. the jumps were huge. We yep. could never understand why you had so big jumps. I mean, you spend most of the time in the air than on the track, you know. <laughs> but, that 2008 track was quite a track too, wasn't it? That, that was, yeah, it was. That was yeah. huge, yeah. Yeah, that got rained out too. I think it did, didn't it? Yeah, we um, still finished. As we get into the middle of the two thousands, um, you know, you obviously you go on a big run of wins. Um, your nephew Stephen appears, Tom's son, and he takes a title in two thousand three. Martin Woolhunter emerges, and he takes back to back titles. And then some of those electric drivers start to appear, and go pretty quickly. You know, Chris Hartel takes a national. Matt Griffin takes a national. Um, what's what's that period of the? I mean, we're in this podcast. We mostly stick in the eighties and nineties, but I'm really interested in that part of nitro off road where you started to see those guys who'd grown up racing electric kind of shift over into nitro and you know and learn their way and start to influence the sport. I guess a little bit. Um, you know, what the it, biggest what, change for me was when Martin came over. Yeah. Um, he was quick and he was, he was my teammate straight away. Like we yeah. just got on so good. Yeah. Um, I remember telling him the story. He, when he first came over, he gave me a call and he rang me up out of the blue and he said to me that I'm going to beat you. <laughs> That's all he said to me. I'm going to beat you. And I said, okay, who's this guy? You know, <laughs> but no, we, um, which he did by the way, <laughs> except for one race. I remember getting him. But we were so close in the racing. It was the best racing I've done because we were so close, but we never touched each other on the track. Yep. 
I think once we finish like a second or two after 60 minutes. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's just the whole time. Yeah. And yeah, now we had a good friendship and he was a good teammate. He really was. Yeah. Did That's you, Martin. Yeah. Was he based in WA? Where was yes. Martin? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you didn't, you and sort of got to... we oh, went yeah. racing. He always stayed with us. Okay. So we always, yeah, got a room together and yeah. That was good. It's an interesting sport, isn't it? Where you, your fiercest competitors on the racetrack can also be great mates off the track. And you can, you know, as you've, as you've talked about there, you can travel together, you know, have a good friendship, have a great respectful relationship. But then when you go on the it's racetrack. Pretty it's pretty rare, but yeah. yeah, I think it's pretty rare. And it was difficult sometimes, especially when I was pitting for him yeah. and I'm trying to get my buggy ready. <laughs> I've got to pit for him. So yeah, sometimes it was difficult, but. Yeah, no, it was rare to have a friendship like that and a yeah. Yeah, teammate like that. So, he also improved my driving too. So, yeah. So, I mean, and I'm hearing you say that he, um, you know, his arrival and his kind of competitive nature and that those races you had really lifted um, the level of the sport, so to speak. And then you've got people yeah, like Chris Hartel and Craig Lawton and Matt Griffin and some of those guys start to kind of arrive. Um, before then, the era of uh, Wayne Walker, of course, who goes, you know, on a bit yep. of a tear for a couple of years and wins lots of races uh, towards the end of that decade. Um, I just want to wind, I want to wind it back a little bit um, and talk a little bit about the cars and the technology. Um, you have talked about being kind of a Mugen driver for a very long time. Um, yeah. But obviously, the cars are developing over that time. What are what are some of the areas of development in the car that you know you recall making a big difference? Um, Just reliability and weight. They're always very heavy from yeah. the start, yeah, and um, not reliable. So that's the big difference. Also, weight transfers and yeah. all that um, differentials too. Yeah. Um, so was the reliability yeah. challenge in the drivetrain? Was it breaking suspension parts? All of those sorts of things? or All those sorts of things. Yeah. They take a punishment on the track, yeah. especially after like an hour final and jumps and all that. Yeah, it was very difficult to get reliable. It is a category that is extraordinarily, extraordinarily punishing on equipment, isn't it? I mean, you drive those cars so hard. Yep. Uh, and the racetracks are so rough um, and big jumps and... Uh, yeah that's yeah. why it was i was lucky because i had the sponsorship through mugen and over Aussie. yeah um you know i could have a brand new car just but every meeting and engine two engines no problems so that helped a lot yeah um, i was very lucky there's some other interesting brands around over that period and brands that we don't really see around anymore. Brands like SG and Mantua and Tag, um, you know, some of the European brands alongside, you know, the Japanese of Mugen and Kyosho. Yeah. Uh, Mugen, I guess, has always had that fairly significant presence in Australia, you know, with Rob's uh, kind of pretty active support of the brand. Were some of those other brands uh, well-established at that time as well? Not really. Um... There was a lot of different brands. Yeah. Uh, I remember there was a LaRoe. Okay. It was a belt-driven buggy. I've not seen a belt-driven eight-scale. Yes. It was okay. quick in a straight yep. line. It was very quick. Yeah. But, yeah, being belts and all that, it wasn't, didn't last too long. 
But yeah, there's a lot of different stuff. Um, there was another one that had five shocks. It's a bit chassis. It had but five. The rear, the, yeah, the rear chassis was split, so it also had a five, uh, fifth shock in there. Okay. So I can't even yeah, imagine all... that, but I'm going to go look it up now. Yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, nah. What about um, tire technology? How much does you know, tyres are obviously so influential and we, we kind of mentioned that a little bit when we are talking about track surfaces, but how much does the development of tyre technology do you think shape eight-scale off-road uh, over the period? Yeah, huge. The it? compounds, these, yeah. mainly the compounds, but that's where America came into it yeah. with their brains. Yeah. They changed it a lot yeah. from the European tyres. They were very basic, not many compounds. Yeah. So, yeah, now that, that changed a lot for America, that's for sure. So as you see, Proline and AKA, yeah. um, among yep. others. Um, yeah. J Concept later on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a huge change. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about some of the people, the people you love to race, the people who inspired you. Um, we've talked, we've obviously talked about your brother. Um, where, when does Stephen start to emerge, your, your nephew? Because he's, you know, he's obviously another of the very quick Drygala clan. He takes a national title along the way in 2003, I think. Um, yep. So when, is, when does he start to kind of come on your radar as, you know, this nephew of mine's he's going to be quick, he's going to be some competition? I was never worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, nah, he was very quick. The cars were good too that they were racing and they were also getting factory support. So, yeah, I kept an eye on him. So they're running. I'm not sure what year he started. Yeah, they did. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Which was a very good car, yeah. too. So I, I remember testing one for racing lines at the time. Okay. And um, yeah, I had a day at the track testing it, and um, I was quite surprised how quick it was. So, but I never, I never changed. I always stayed with Mugen. But you until... got a little insight into what it was you were racing against. Yeah, I was surprised how good it was. Yeah. So, I mean, Kyosho had been around yeah. for a long time around off-road, nitro off-road as well, hadn't they? Been winning world titles and all sorts of things in that in that side of the sport, um, along with Mugen, too, certainly from a Japanese perspective, two of the long-living, the long-lived brands um, in that category. So I, I'm really fascinated by, um, Nick, that, that, uh, that, intra-family rivalry i guess that you know the the brothers and then later the nephew and the different uh the different manufacturers that you represented um but but reflect on some of the other people that you kind of met along the way you know the other people who are active in driving the sport forward um the characters the funny people you know who were who were some of the friends that you made and talk to me about some of the people yeah well there was the guys that were running it, or the guy that was running it in Newcastle, Tom Harvey, um, he was doing it all by himself. The grass prep, uh, the track preparation, um, yeah, the events, he's doing it all by himself. And it was amazing the time and effort he put into it. And then he got Tari, which was Don Martin, also just one person, all the track work by himself. And I appreciate that a lot. And they helped the sport a lot. 
in time. I mean, it's so often, isn't it, the case that, you know, our, that our sport th- thrives on the dedicated efforts of just a few people, you know, that, that you know, the, the Tom Harveys, the Don Martins, um, you know, in, in this category, it might, it might be other names in other clubs and other, but it's, you know, someone who's just passionate about the sport, who loves it, who, you know, wants to build great racetracks or wants to yeah. know, put on a great event um, that really yeah, drives. They don't get the recognition they deserve, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, are there others that you recall that, you know, particularly in the Nitro off-road scene, um, you know, obviously there's there's clubs, uh, you've talked about those three clubs in New South Wales, but there's obviously clubs in uh, Victoria and WA are, are pretty active. I think, you know, other states come a little bit uh, later on, but, you know, are there other people you recall from those nationals and travelling around the country? Yeah, well, when Nitro X um, started, um, Dan... Uh, the amount of time and money he put into the race events um, also made a huge difference. I think that's when it boomed, the 1-8th off-road, is when he started helping out and supplying fuel for all the drivers. Um, he was a character and a half. The stories he had were amazing. I remember he was staying with us, with Martin and I, and the stories you come up with, Martin and I would look at each other and say, this can't be true. <laughs> He is Are a there any of these stories you. that you can remember that you can tell in public uh, that you can, you know, can you, I don't want to get into yeah, all. No, no, they're all good stories. Like he was flying a plane and it could only go a certain distance, but what he had was a fuel can next to him and he would pump <laughs> fuel into the wing. So he could go further to the next um, airport. Just crazy yeah. stories that we actually found out later on. They were true. So, um, so so he Dan uh, starts the the brand Nitro X, and that's a fuel brand, yep. obviously an Australian fuel brand. Um, yep. What is the fuel story? You know, in in all the years that you've raced, you know, are there are there people that are mixing their own fuel? Are there suppliers that you know? How does because fuel is obviously really critical, right? And the way it's developed over you know the amount of technology that goes into fuel um, over the last twenty years. So what's what's fuel like? What's the fuel situation? Wasn't as critical as one eighth on road. Okay. Um, we weren't looking for the horsepower. Yeah. So you weren't looking for a lot of nitro or all that. But Tom used to make or mix fuel for me for, in the early parts. Okay. And we did try extra nitro, 40%, 50%, whatever. But it really made no difference. You actually use more fuel and yeah. yeah. So in a But category- oils too are critical. But in a category yeah. where you are after drivability and runtime or you know, yes. mileage, horsepower yep. is less, outright horsepower is less of an issue. Yeah, you don't need horsepower, but yeah, it comes in handy sometimes, but no, you don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, are, are there other, you know, are there other Dan's, are there other brands around that emerge kind of doing fuel around the country over? Um, no, over the time of no. No, he's the main Not- the way he did yep. and the um, support he put into the racing. Mm. Um, he got it up there mm. to a big number of final, uh, national finals and that he, he did that all himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. He deserves a lot of credit for what he did. Yeah. Um, mate, you know, as we sit here in, in 2020 and you're, I don't, you're not racing at all or you're certainly less active now. Is that, is that, I'm not racing at all. I haven't 
held a radio for four or five years. Okay, yeah. And it kills me. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, really look, to does. To be honest, you and I, I mean, I, I last raced seriously at the end of 2014 and here I am still telling stories and thinking about RC and, you know, it's, it's still a bit addictive. Um, as you sit, you know, in 2020 and you, you know, you look back over your time in the sport and at the front of the sport and, you know, building tracks and starting clubs and being a part of driving the development of eight scale off-road and you see what it has been like over the last 10 years, the, just the phenomenon that eight scale off-road has been that, what's that, you know, that, is that a, a kind of a, I don't know. Do you look back on on that with some pride that you know you guys um, had had a hand in the development of you know what it's become now? Um, I don't know. How do you reflect on your time and and how eight scales going in the last ten years? Yeah, I um, I look back at it as in uh, the racing and the places I've been to over the years. And not the results, not the wins, not the national wins. It's actually the places I've been to. Yep. And that's the best part for me. But in the racing scene, how popular, popular it is now, yep. um, we always knew it would be up there. We just needed the people to support and fund it to get it there. Yep. Yeah. But for you, you know, as you look back, it's, it's the memories, the travel... Uh, the oh. people you met, the, you know, the Martins that you met along the way. Um, yeah. That, that not, yeah you. Just the, the nights going out, having a drink, talking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll never forget that. That's definitely the best memories, that's for sure. And the characters you meet. Yeah. Are there any of those, uh, are there any of those funny nights, fun night outs, uh, stories that, that kind of stick in your mind? Well, we got, or they got us kicked out of so many motels we weren't allowed back. <laughs> the problem with 1-8th off-road is because the cars get so dirty. You come yeah. back to the motel, yeah. you clean them, the, the yeah. carpet gets dirty and yeah, yeah it happens. It, I mean, it does. And if you, yeah, I think every uh, person I've spoken to in every category uh, of the sport that we've explored has some similar stories about um, shenanigans that go on in motels. Uh, there certainly was, there's a famous, very famous motel in Canberra where all the electric off-road um, guys used to stay that, you know, in the, the kind of stuff that went on in the hallways of that motel um, late at night, the night before national titles and so on. That's uh, almost a whole episode um, yeah. of its own. Yeah, that's, that's the stuff I remember most, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. And the stuff I miss the most as well. Do you, do you think that you'll pick up a radio again anytime or it's, uh, it's just not really an option for you and you're doing other things? I will. I reckon I will for sure. Um, I know there's a, a one tenth track just like five minutes away from me. <laughs> okay. And I should have done something, but it's not easy to go one tenth after you've been one eighth. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the thing you'll find about one tenth is that it's very easy. It's you know you literally plug it in. Uh, you got a couple of batteries. Ah, really? <laughs> it's, Certainly modern electric technology is uh, very easy to work with and, and phenomenally reliable and incredibly powerful. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that would be something special to see the Drogella name back on a racetrack. Uh, speaking of racetracks, uh, we've talked certainly about a couple of the, you know, the tracks that you raced at along the way and that, those that you had a hand in developing. 
tell me about you know maybe a couple of your favorite race tracks that you know the the tracks themselves that you look back and go man i love that race track my favorite would be newcastle redhead um yep. grass yeah i did prefer grass over dirt okay. <laughs> and yeah now that was my favorite track for sure um one other one would be Alice Springs. Alice Springs. We had a yeah, we had a state titles in Alice Springs once. Okay. And um yeah, now that was that was well done. And still to this day, Alice Springs, that race meeting, um, it was the best pizza we have ever had, Alice Springs. <laughs> I still remember that. You do really remember what, the sport you, through the places you visited, don't you? Yeah, that's the main thing. It's true. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, not the results. Yeah. Um, like I didn't, I did win that one, but, um, I was definitely going to different places yeah, yeah. around the world and around Australia. Um, that's definitely what the best part of it. So Nick, you've talked about really loving Newcastle and loving Alice Springs, you know, racetracks. What, what is it that you look for in a racetrack? You know, is it that grass, that high traction, you know, is it high speed? What's what, what in a racetrack do you really look for and love? Um, yeah, that's high traction, grass, and no jumps. <laughs> I think I'm more an on-road driver than off-road. Well, I used to hate the jumps. <laughs> yeah. I think you and I do have a bit in common because I spent a lot of my off-road <laughs> career um, struggling over the jumps. Yes. Uh, so we've talked a bit there about favorite, our favourite tracks. What about favourite cars? I mean, you've been, you know, you had been with Mugen for such a long time. You know, is it, are there particular cars um, over that time that, you know, that stand out that you really, you know, really gelled with or um, that you just, you know, really look back on fondly? Probably the first Mugen that I, the, that I raced, the Mugen Sport, I think it was, with the reversed engine. Um, Hang on, tell, the so, advanced sorry. From the, tell me about the reversed engine. What's the story there? Yeah, the engine set the other way around, the opposite way around. Oh, okay. And... Yeah. Um, what were they trying long. to? What were they trying to do with that? Weight have the weight in the center okay. of the car. Yeah. So yeah, that that was quick. That was the quickest buggy at the time for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And yeah, the advance from the car I had before that to that was huge. But so that, that was definitely uh, my favorite. That attempt, you know, to do that reverse motor positioning obviously didn't stick, and you know we've settled into a pretty <laughs> universally standard kind of chassis layout now for us yeah. off road. Um, we'd say, wouldn't we? Were, were there other cars that you were conscious of that really, I guess, pushed the envelope? We talked about that car earlier that had the split rear chassis and the five shock setup that you yep. know was, was pretty unique. Um, a belt drive car, um, I think you yep. talked about as well. Were there other? other brands that you were conscious of that really were pushing the envelope, um, you know, trying some kind of way out their stuff. There was a lot of different cars. They were promised a lot, but they never really showed on the track. Um, like the belt driven was a great idea. Yeah. It was light, but yeah, it didn't quite work. There yeah. was a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. But weight was always an issue with these buggies. They were nearly four kilos yeah. for a long time. There was, um, in the 92 Worlds, we went over to that with carbon fibre chassis. Oh, really? Yeah. And we were actually underweight. <laughs> and, yeah, we got looked at a few times. That was, that was good. 
was that something you guys had developed uh, on your cars here yourselves or was it a yeah a guy in newcastle um he tried it and yeah. we asked him we'll go into the worlds can we have some so they're a carbon fiber chassis with a titanium top plate for heat yeah. sink yeah and yeah, they were light as yeah and it wasn't smart when you think about it because lightening the chassis isn't a good idea, but it made the whole buggy light. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a few things we tried. I know Simon in Tasmania, he made his own buggy. He did, yeah. And did you hear a story about that when he went to Queensland to promote his new buggy? I did not, and I lived in... Okay, there's a state title. But go ahead. Yeah, there was a state titles in Queensland, I think it was, or Nationals, I'm not sure. And he went up there to promote his buggy, the one he designed himself. And <laughs> funny story is they lost his bag baggage and they lost his car. Oh, no. <laughs> so he couldn't race it. Oh. So this, that's and, Simon, Simon Kernan, obviously. Uh, yes. Did, did he get his buggy back? Yeah, yeah, after yeah. the race oh. meeting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we actually That's... went out to the track after the race meeting to test it and try, try it out. But yeah. yeah, he actually designed, was going to design his own buggy. Yeah. Um, he certainly remember, was a guy who thought a lot about, about the technical side of the sport. That's yes, I would love to sit down. I did sit down with him a lot of times to talk about it and what he thought, what should happen. Um very smart guy and yeah. it's a shame he didn't um make this car that he wanted to make yeah at the so end. that's but probably when we're talking then that's a few years ago now isn't it that's when was i was down there kind of maybe around 10 years ago and he was racing uh, pretty heavily then doing a lot of development yeah. work at that time yep mm. i just sort of reminded me of that meeting in queensland we'll sit down in the pits and he was telling me about his car that he was made and all of a sudden he took off to the bush <laughs> and we, we didn't see him for another two or three hours. And when he came back, we asked him, well, what happened? Where'd you go? And apparently his ex-wife turned up. <laughs> his ex-wife who was living in Queensland found out that he was at this race meeting and she turned up looking for him. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah. Maybe we won't dig too deeply into that story. Mate, are there other, are there other funny stories? Do you have any, do you have any uh, funny stories, uh, embarrassing stories maybe, uh, you know, of your own from along the way, apart from that, uh, you know, forgetting to tighten up the glow plug. But, yeah, the glow plug, yep. Yeah. Um, yes, there was. I think it was the 2000 Nationals in Perth. I was pitting for Raf. Yeah. And he came in. I caught him in for a fuel stop and he came in and I went to lift the fuel lid up. And as I did that, I grabbed his antenna out of his receiver and I pulled <laughs> it right out. <laughs> oh, um, a beautiful friendship yeah. over right there. I put the car back down. He went out. It went out of control, and I said, "Whoops." <laughs> uh, is this the he first time okay. you confessed to that? Or no, I spoke to him a few years ago about yeah. it, and he forgot all about it. So, I mean, that was yeah, that was pretty bad. Just ripped it right out of the receiver. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, there's, I mean, that, we, sorry, you've set me off on another tangent now. This is sorry. kind of how my brain works. No, no, it's. Um, the the you know the element of nitro racing that i i mean i'm only spent a few years kind of dabbling really and so my experience is limited but i did love that 
you know, the long, the long races, the fuel stops, the teamwork, the, you know, that kind of aspect of it, you know, having grown up on a diet of five and six minute electric sort of sprint racing. Um, yep. Just, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, I think you said earlier that you often, you know, you didn't travel with a pit person. So you always, you know, you were always trying to sort of do a deal with someone, but you know, how's exactly that? do a deal. That's exactly right. Because I used to pay people. I used to give gifts. <laughs> I once, um, paid a kid from Newcastle to fly over with me to Perth race yeah. and he was racing too but I said the condition was if you make the final you can't race in the final you have to pit for me <laughs> so he made the final oh, wow. <laughs> I said sorry sorry man you oh, have to pit for me <laughs> I need to find out who that kid was and then go and interview him as well yeah 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 but yeah, I, oh, geez. Yeah. It's, it's very hard. It's very important to have a good pit crew. Very yeah. important. Yeah. And that's something that I struggled a long time. Yeah. But yeah. I used to promise to drive me car and I used to promise a lot of things. So I give them <laughs> stuff. And if I win, of course, then <laughs> if I don't win, they don't get anything. It's it's kind of a little bit like a uh, a golfer and the caddy relationship, right? Yeah. So when you get a percentage of the prize money, uh, if I don't, it's exactly what it was. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna put the pressure on them. Yeah. They can't just pit for me and then not do the proper job. Yeah. <laughs> but that that uh, you know, obviously, your experience then is a little bit different. But you know, if we look at um, you know, obviously, you know, the easy one to look at is Kyle and Scott McBride over the last ten years. But yes. You know that. Yeah. That. Uh, innate kind of trust and relationship and dependence on of driver upon pit crew and mechanic and you know vice versa that teamwork aspect of this part of the sport that um, is so critical and it is it is and for the heavy dad to do that who knows your car yeah. um tuning uh yeah no nah, that's a huge advantage and makes it easy to have someone like that and also you got um wayne walker barry walker yep. father and son yeah, yeah. No, we only we did only jealous. briefly we did only briefly mention uh, Wayne. It kind of came on the you know I guess at the end of the period of time in which I'm particularly interested. But you know he was extraordinarily fast for a few years, wasn't he? Um, in the late two, he took my drive from Mugen oh, <laughs> when okay. I gave Mugen away. He got oh. he got the sponsorship. So okay. yeah, I left Mugen for promises of something big and better. Yeah, and it never happened. Didn't quite work out. No, um, I regret that. But yeah. Wayne and Wayne had come over from, or certainly not come over from, but had a you know some pretty big results, including a national title in uh, Nitro on road as well a couple of years earlier. Yep. Then his off road uh, appearances. So you know again a little bit out of our um, our kind of time frame, but just worth remarking on you know the talent, the extraordinary talent, and you've talked about you know there the teamwork between Wayne and Barry. Yeah, um, Nick, I feel like I you know we could just sit here and chat about. Um, people and you know we'd we'd find some stories in common um along the way but thank you so much uh for the kind of tour through uh a part of the sport that i'm not super familiar with and you know from grass racetracks in newcastle you know flying to uh to alice springs for a race out there uh the uh uh, emergence of you know a guy like martin woolhunter traveling the world um wonderful times wonderful stories uh thank you so much for the chat today thank you it's great to remember and talk about it that's for sure beautiful 